0: Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineers' own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Oh yeah! Hey, hey, hey. Dude. Oh my gosh, that felt good. It's been a long time since you monitored the uh the intro. I mean, we we videotaped last episode.
1: Yeah. And if you all ever get to see that footage, you'll see. We've explained it before off or on the air. You've been holding your headphones, cranking them on full (laughs) so that we both can hear that intro music as we come in. But now that our set setup is a little more legitimized, I've got headphones. We both have
0: headphones. Yep. I would have to carry the weight of the, you know, all of the, I'd have to bring all of the energy into the pod for the first two or three minutes because it would pump me up and you were still half asleep.
1: That's not true at all. (laughs) That is so not true. Um, We apologize. We weren't with you last week.
0: I apologize to no one.
1: Okay. I apologize. (laughs) We weren't with you last week, but we obviously, uh, I think we we mentioned. We queued it up. Yeah. We might be gone uh, for the week. We have uh, the internal Go University. Yes. That we all took care of.
0: It's over and we are ready to get back to. Yeah, and we're actually doing a Monday show. So if you think about it, we really aren't that late. Friday to Monday. We've been later. We we have been later. We lot but we didn't put a show out last week. Yeah. Which we maybe, failed maybe you. Maybe two this week? We failed mm-hmm. you. Are you gonna be in San Diego all week? I'll be back Friday here. Yeah, maybe we could do another episode on Friday. We'll see. With how much news there's been, perhaps it could warrant a uh, second episode.
1: Is that a little hint at a segue? I don't know.
0: <laughs> we <laughs> are know. trying to get better at this, aren't yeah. we? Um, I do have to say, I've never seen you in glasses. Really? I've, I've I've worn these to work before. I don't remember you ever wearing glasses. I have. I've been purposely not asking you because I wanted to bring it up during the pod. Thanks a lot. <laughs> But they look sharp. I, I
1: generally wear contacts. I have pretty bad eyes.
0: I had no idea.
1: They're horrible. Uh, and I think I got a little piece of debris or something between my eyeball and my contact over the weekend. Whoa. And sometimes the lubricity of the contact doesn't let you know that there's something in there. Yeah. You, you can sense just a slight irritation, but blinking is unaffected. Say if you got sand in your eye, you'd know. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I would know too if it was over my lens. But when it's under it hmm. and it's small enough, you just sense some irritation. But you do- it doesn't affect your blinking or anything. So could you damage your cornea? Uh, probably, yeah.
0: And I may wow. have. Wow.
1: Uh, not permanently, but just... How would you know?
0: Your eyesight's already so bad.
1: It's true. I'd have to go just, the lights would have to go out for it to be any worse than it is right now. No, but um, yeah, I'm just taking a day off from the contacts and hoping that, you know, I don't scare anyone at the Stratasys mobile truck demo uh, this
0: week. You look uh, very nerdy. It's the shape of your glasses. Hey, that means I made a good choice. That's true. It, it depends on the context with the people that we hang out with. Yeah. It's going to give you a little bit of extra cred,
1: but it might not, not help, outside of yeah, work. I mean, it might not help. They're just going <laughs> to, I'm not going to make any new friends. They're Oakley's is what you're so saying.
0: They're kind of nice,
1: but they're oh, very square. Oh they're just gosh. very square lenses. Do you mean that in the old fashioned sense? Like cartoonishly square. They
0: are, they are square. Yeah.
1: I like them well let's just let's not focus on me that's or m- my appearance. no one cares let's get out of here. let's talk no about uh I mentioned the Stratasys truck, yeah, so the Stratasys has their mobile demo truck, and it will be pulling into uh Liberty station, California uh here tomorrow that's cool and in fact i i it's actually there today, oh yeah, yeah,
0: many people have seen this truck. Across the United States. I have not personally seen it yet. Have you?
1: I'm about to lay eyes on it tomorrow.
0: It's a nice looking trailer that has printers in it, and they just open it up and let people walk in. They're going to park it outside
1: the... Stone Brewing Gardens.
0: Yeah, but there is a show. There's an expo down in Southern California. It's MD... That's not this week. Oh. I don't think. That's the Pacific Design PDEZ Pacific Design and Engineering Show. I think. I don't know.
1: I'm not the best person to be asking this. Okay. Um, I know where it's going to be tomorrow. (laughs) If you happen to me, we have decent listenership in California. If you happen to be in the area, come take a walk through. You better bring bring some swag.
0: Who me? Yeah. A giveaway. You need a giveaway. Yeah, I'll have something. Be prepared. If anyone shows up, you've got to mention the show. You gotta mention the show. They'll be a super fan because they would have had to <laughs> probably change their plans within hours of listening to this episode. Or
1: they're like me and they never have an actual lunch plan. They just know that they're doing something for an hour. Mm-hmm. If they're like that, then they and they're close enough, they can make it happen. What a way to live. <laughs> oh my, I don't want to get into this. This could be <laughs> bad. Um, In other news, this one, you're going to love. Desktop Metal. Again? Made another acquisition. Or at least uh, they're finalizing. uh, They've made a plan to finalize an acquisition in Q4 of this year.
0: Yeah, I read that last week. And I don't know, what was your initial thought? Well, the
1: company... (laughs) Can you tell us anything about your knowledge of, of X1? X1?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can tell you what I know. Uh, X1 has been around for as long as I've been in 3D printing. So I've been in, in this industry for about 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And they predate me. So they go... I think they say like 20 years they've been, uh, they've been a leader in additive, yeah, cl- metal additive. Close, probably close to 20 years. I'm not sure if it's quite 20 years but they have always sort of led the way in binder jetting process. Early on, they were sort of defining what it meant to print metal in many ways. Um, Laser sintering has been around longer, but many people, when they thought 3D printing metals, they actually pictured the old style binder jetting where they were printing low, melt temp metals and then that were porous and then infiltrating them with, uh, other metals. So you weren't getting the true alloy that we do today. And, uh, so we had many conversations about printing metal that way back in the day, not, not so much any longer. And then they've also pioneered the, uh, the technology used to print sand. For Sandcast molds, yeah. which is very compelling, very niche, but very compelling as well. So they're essentially building, again, binder jetting and depositing a binder of sorts into the sand and creating one-time use uh, Tools. Sandcast. Tools. Yeah, that's right. So in the past few years, they... They improved their binder jetting process. We talked a little bit, I think about them uh achieving a sixty sixty one aluminum alloy um, earlier this year and they acquired a company called Repedia, which we have talked about on this show, which was a filament metal system, which was a direct competitor to d m and of course their binder jetting technology is a direct competitor to d m and and uh they are actually selling binder jetting machines and they have been for 10 plus years. 20
1: plus, according are, to their are website.
0: They, are they a mid nineties or a mid two thousands company?
1: <laughs> well,
0: they're one or according the to them, they're over 20 years. So maybe it was in year 2000. I'm trying to remember. I made an infographic once years ago. <laughs> that you might be able to
1: pull from your memory.
0: Oh, perhaps. But they've been the pioneers for binder jetting, uh, particularly metal binder jetting. So this is a good company. This is a good pickup. It is a legitimate company. I would guess they do about $100 million a year in revenue. Very good. Just what DM
1: needs. And they've got, like, uh, at least from what I can tell on their website, they've got four uh, metal additive machines, and I'm not sure how
0: many of the sand... It may just be one sand machine. I'm not super familiar with their exact product line right now. Uh, but it is a, it's a big pickup for DM. I was reading the press release, and they said that they gave up about 12 to 15% of their company. Um, of course, this isn't the first acquisition that they've made uh, this year. And I would bet almost anything that it's not the last to happen this year. The leadership at DM is on a mission, and that is become a leader in additive manufacturing one way or the other. Yeah. If they can't make it, they'll buy it. Can I say that? I don't know if you can say it. You know what else? It's been
1: said. I'm going to bleep this out in post if if I can't say this part, but Jeb. Yeah. Jeb is an investor in DM. I just found this out. He he owns a stock. Yeah, <laughs> he he's actually eh, more than casually invested. Really, and it just it shocked me when I found out. Really, so I kind of give him a good ribbing, and hey, you know this could turn out good for him if they keep
0: well, acquiring. That I we may have spoken about this before, but you have the valuation of companies, and if they're public companies, the valuation is basically. What's their market cap? What's the current price of their stock? How many outstanding shares there are? So you have the perception of an investor who is just speculating, is the value of this (laughs) company going to go up or is it going to go down? And then you have the user. And the user and the investor may have completely different opinions about a company. Yeah. Right? Jeb proves that he can keep those separate yeah and it could be a wise investment i have no idea um, i mean i i was definitely right about nano dimension so like, far not so good for jep <laughs> i won't say anything about and it's all about timing so yeah. if you had if you had purchased any 3d printing stock in february of this year you're going to be down right if you had if you had purchased x1 stock last thursday the day before the announcement you'd be up like 35 percent in two days which is totally wild yeah and next week it might be back down again it just it's speculation it's real hard telling it's what the folks say where i'm from
1: so so that's that's a pretty big piece of news if you want to look into that some more there's definitely more information available um, in terms of shares and shareholders and kind of what's at stake?
0: Yeah, it's big news. I mean, we we can cont- continue to see a lot of consolidation in the additive space, and particularly with some of the companies that were not public previously and have been able to leverage this vehicle for uh, bringing cash into the organization through the SPACs. Some companies, and DM particularly, has been able to seize the moment and use that valuation. So they they part of this deal is like one third of it is cash payout for existing X1 shares. And then two thirds of it is assignment of DM shares to X1 shareholders. So they're using a combination of cash and equity to lure people in. And earlier this year, DM had... $6 billion in market cap to play around with. They're still sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars in cash, a couple billion in market cap, but you can only play that game for so long because you're giving up equity each time, right? And and so the more stakeholders you have, the harder it is to do deals like that. So we'll see. you think SLM will be next? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I don't know. I actually keep thinking that they... They could have been next this whole year. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? I don't. Not my place to say yeah. or speculate. And this is not an investment show. So nobody take uh, any of this and bet your life savings on anything. That doesn't we sound about. like
0: a legally binding uh, uh, warning. You, you <sighs> didn't run that through the We're going to, yeah, we're going to have to get
1: legal. We'll have to get them involved at some point. Uh, but yeah, just don't do anything
0: stupid with your money, and don't. If you do, don't say it was because of us. That won't hold up in court anyway. There, no reasonable <laughs> judge, jury, grand jury. However serious this gets, will hold us accountable.
1: Reasonable
0: being the key word.
1: We reasonable.
0: Do, oh, we better change our graphic. We can't say we're pros. Not anymore. <laughs> All right.
1: And then the last thing, you know, we just finished up with the Tokyo Games, the Olympics. Very, very cool this year, I thought. Mm-hmm. Experiencing some new sports. Which, the,
0: which new sports did you enjoy? Uh,
1: BMX. Ooh, I really liked yeah. the BMX. I didn't watch, catch any of the races. Uh, I did, did catch the freestyle in men's and women's in the vert. Yeah. So incredible. So fun. And so weird. Cause like you're used to seeing extreme sports in the X games yeah, and you have, um, a guy that talks like this, you know, so cool, triple whip, you know, it's a guy like that talking. And now here we are, you know, we have some of the best sports commentators, professionals out there, not to say the others aren't professional, but you know, imagine Al Michaels. Like establishment
0: commentators. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I thought it was just, it was a weird vibe. It was cool to see the trainers there. I mean, I saw Ryan Nyquist, which is like an old childhood hero of mine. And he's one of the coaches for this team. And I'm like, just, my (laughs) mind is blown. Like seeing him in a USA, like coaching Jersey.
0: Yeah. And anyway, really, really cool. What did you think? I didn't watch a lot of Olympics. I watched some highlights from trampoline which is amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, I saw a clip on Instagram of a guy doing eight flips in a single jump. jump on the eight tramp? Eight backflips. Yeah. Which no one in the Olympics is doing that because it's hella dangerous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you this shouldn't is, be doing that. Yeah. People, <clears> I don't <throat> think the casual, like average Joe doesn't realize how high risk trampoline is
0: yeah well
1: people break
0: their stuff I can't even actually watch people in my neighborhood on a trampoline if I see people on a trampoline I have to look away (laughs) this does not surprise me at all
1: (laughs) based on our building experience and when Tyler sees me on a ladder if I get up like two steps he's freaking out
0: I mean I used to jump on a trampoline a lot but Mm -hmm. I hit my head once
1: and ever since then
0: and now you get anxiety (laughs) even watching people jump on it even people just tripping and falling So, um, but I did enjoy the Olympics. I really enjoyed Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg commentating (laughs) on the Olympics. That was the best part. Um, I I watched the women's BMX. When are they going to bring chess into the Olympics? That's what I want to know.
1: Hopefully never. It's a sport. Eh, There's. there's (laughs) I got to be a little. You strongly disagree. There's got to be a little more action. And, you know, I'm... You're talking to a guy who does fishing as a quote unquote sport, but there's a little action in there. That's true. There's a little boat race in there.
0: There's a little... uh... My favorite Olympic sports are diving, gymnastics, and trampoline. And you only watched one of the three? I watched some diving and I watched a little bit of gymnastics as well. Okay. So...
1: Well, it was a good Olympics for most everybody,
0: um, but... There was a fail. Oh, man. This is bad for all of us. I was hoping you'd bring this up. (laughs) Well, I got
1: to thank one of our colleagues. Uh, He sent us an article about this particular incident, which I had seen. It popped up on my YouTube feed. And an Australian team writer, Alex Porter, turfed it. Absolutely turfed it on his
0: bicycle. So this was an indoor cycling event, right? Yeah. Have you seen these tracks? Yeah. They're totally banked out. It looks like a mini NASCAR track. Aren't they called Velo Domes? <sighs> that sounds right.
1: It does sound right. And it's, or like a, it's like a board track. It's like bowling alley wood.
0: That's is it? curved
1: into a circle. Yeah. Wow. And these guys have those crazy helmets that look yes. like something out of. Arrow is, incredibly important in this and lightweighting incredibly Mm -hmm. important in fact here's a little side controversy a few of the teams including the australian team were putting on these bandages on the front of their shins like they had shin splints yeah but the weird part is both shins on every member of the team happened to have the same quote-unquote injury yeah and the front of your shin happens to be one of those critical arrow spots. Yeah. Okay. And I guess um, there are other materials that are more efficient than skin when it comes to the movement of air over it.
0: Uh-huh. And so there is speculation that wow. there could
1: have been a little, uh,
0: do you remember those you know, swimsuits, the sharks, shark skin yeah. swimsuits? Yep. They repel water. Mm-hmm. Those were banned.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like these um these cyclists, they have restrictions on sock height, sock material, things yeah. like that. Um anyway, getting to the uh, now that we've established like this is incredibly the the component that I love about this is it's an engineering component, right? Because when it's we're just talking sprints, yeah. it's the human body and maybe like ever so slightly some equipment with the shoes, yeah, right? For sure. Uh, but besides that, there's the really nothing between you and the ground and the clothes. Yeah. Very little. Right. Yeah, very little. So here now we have a bicycle, which can be manufactured by, you know, a certain group. Uh, they probably have some flexibility there, but it's all about making the lightest, fastest, mm-hmm. most fitted
0: bike within the rules. And it's so competitive.
1: Yeah. So now we're talking like for the Formula One of bicycle racing, yeah. right? You have and engineering teams that are purposely trying to work within the rules and find these and little
0: nuggets of performance. To me personally, cyclists are insane. They're the the competitive cyclists are the craziest people that I've ever witnessed in terms of the dedication to the sport. And I mean You're talking
1: look, Lance, aren't you? No. You're not, going this not, route, not route just aren't Lance,
0: you? Not just Lance and the whole USPS team, but just cyclists in general. It's so competitive. There's so many people at the top trying to perform at the top and they are all looking for the little tiniest edge mm-hmm. competitively. And that's a space where 3D printing historically has excelled. Right. And so thank you for getting us
1: back on track. The 3D printing aspect of this story is Alex Porter, he turfed it, right? Well, there was an equipment... Total
0: faceplant. Yeah.
1: There was an equipment failure in his handlebars. So have you ever had a chance to ride a road bike? I've ridden a road bike, yeah. So have you ever... Like, it's not the same as riding a BMX bike, right? Right. Or a mountain bike. You've got the big white handlebars on a BMX bike. They're up high. They're... It's really easy to move the bike around under you. Mm -hmm. And cycling is all about being aero efficient. Yeah. Not at all an ergonomic
0: situation, right? Like it's hard to ride your bike with your hands six inches apart. You make your body fit the shape that it needs to be. That's what you're saying, right?
1: Yeah. And so you're in these particular situations, you're, you're very, um, top heavy or front heavy. Mm-hmm. A lot of your weight goes into your shoulders and elbows. Yeah. And so when you're, in fact, there are elbow rests in the handlebars integrated. So say you've got a 50 fit, 50, 50 split of your body weight, half of it's on the front. So what happens if you kick the legs out from a chair, the back legs, yeah. you're going to fall. Yeah. And it happens so fast. This guy, Alex, His face hit the ground first.
0: Oh, yeah. He went straight over. So it was the stem, right, on his handlebars. Mm -hmm. It snaps. And he has nowhere to go, but straight over his wheel, right onto his face. Yeah. And it didn't even happen at the start of the race.
1: Which is when most of the torque is on that part of the bike. Yeah, I would think so. You'd expect it to break there. No, he was just going into a corner. So. And he was the last rider, which the last rider has the least load. The first rider has the most air resistance. Oh, yeah. And they're pushing the hardest. Hmm. So he was the tail end
0: rider. Well, wow. I mean, from a competitor standpoint, that sucks. They actually, they, they were still able to compete. They,
1: when you have a mechanical failure like this, they allow you to kind of fix things and have another run at it. That's good. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they had a chance still to compete for a bronze medal. They didn't end up getting it. Um, but here's the story. So the, this particular part was a lightweighted part. It was... I can't imagine these things are being made with much more than a one-to-one ratio of safety. The safety factor is yeah. probably exactly what it needs to be because weight is such a critical critical component to their success. Um, So this was a part that had been consolidated. You'd mentioned it was the stem. It's like a stem slash handlebar, everything kind of integrated into one piece. Okay. And it happened to be a titanium part. Okay. Additively manufactured. Mm -hmm. And this has been headlined in a lot of places. So what is this going to do for... Us, as people who are breaking into metal additive, does this hurt the outside world's
0: view? Hmm. Well, it's a valid question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, In my opinion, it doesn't make any difference. To me, it... But you have a totally
1: different perception and perspective.
0: Right. Yeah. What do you think? To the average average person... Yeah, I think the average person is going to be like, oh yeah, that, of course it was 3D printed, of course it, it broke. Yeah, I hate that.
1: I hate that. And I and I, I totally can see someone doing that because a lot of the people who are casual observers, they have an interest, maybe even some of them listen to this show, they have an interest in the additive technologies. They want to know what's new, but they're they're going to say, they're going to lean on like, well, that's why it hasn't been widely adopted. Yeah. Something like that. An
0: an engineer is going to ask, was it a predictable failure? Was it a design, a failure to design, or a failure to manufacture? Because probably one or the other. Was it badly designed? I doubt
1: it. (laughs) And an investigation actually is being led right now by the Australian cycling team.
0: I I hope they hire some experts. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and I think they will. I mean, so... That they had a, there was a company that, made the, that, that provided the bikes to the Australian racing team and they actually came out immediately and said this wasn't our part. We okay. did provide these bikes. However, okay. we don't hold the responsibility of this failure because we actually didn't provide that handlebar. And so then you're like, okay, who is it then? And there's another company called Bastion Cycles uh, out of Australia as well. They have a Renishaw machine okay it's the am250 so that's the little nugget that i'll give you i i did a little digging found out what machine actually produced the part this is a powder bed fusion laser melted um, type of system Mm -hmm. and it's you know we know this throughout the industry an additively manufactured metal part isn't going to have all the same qualities or characteristics mechanically, structurally, when you break down the structure of the metal as a forged part in the same material. Well, I don't,
0: I don't know if that's relevant. I think it is. No, it's not. not? It's not not? relevant because you don't have parity in the designs. So the material properties, as they compare to each other, only matter if you're, if you have the exact same design and one's forged, and one is printed. But you're designing for print, mm-hmm. so you're going to take into account the material properties of the printed metal. Well, exactly. And I think this is where we could run into
1: some issues in terms of people that are naysayers or to the technology. They're going to see, ah, oh, see, this is a limitation of the machines. It's not a limitation of titanium.
0: Well... Yeah, I mean, you you stick a, a, a block of titanium in front of the writer and it's never going to break. This is why I strongly believe it's a design flaw.
1: Hmm, I don't think so. I'm actually on the total opposite end of the spectrum. I, I do believe we can design around additive when we know the potential weaknesses of it. Say, for example, a lot of us almost everyone listening has some experience with FDM. We know that there are orientation issues with FDM. Yeah. Right? We orient parts in such a way that they're strongest where we think they need to be strongest.
0: Yeah. How many times have you broke an FDM part in a way that completely surprised you? Never. Exactly. Because the manufacturing of it, is fairly repeatable. You look at it and you say, I designed that wrong or I did something wrong. It's not a manufacturing defect. Hmm. And this is the reason why we don't see lattices anywhere. Well, this wasn't a latticed
1: part. This wasn't, if if you look at it, however, it is hollow. The part the at least from what I could glean from these pictures now, all this is speculation. I wanna be very clear here. I've only looked at the pictures you can see on the internet. If anyone looks this up, you're going to see the same thing. This is kind of like a clamshell assembly from what I could tell hollow in the middle, it looked very thin.
0: The shell looked like it was eighth inch or smaller. So thin, very, very thin walled printed parts and lattices fall into these. They're very difficult to design and simulate and validate. Uh, precisely because the surface defects, the surface roughness as a ratio of the cross-sectional area of the wall mm-hmm. is quite high. And so they contribute more yeah. to the uh, part integrity than they would otherwise. And this is not very well known and it's not an easy technical problem to solve yeah that in mind
1: uh i absolutely am on board with this could be fixed with design and i hope that people understand like most scenarios are not cutting edge like these cycling situations or formula one racing where it's a one-to-one safety factor i mean (laughs) we a 1.2 safety factor could have prevented this a
0: 1.1 could have prevented Mm -hmm. this if it's not simulated correctly i mean they might think that they have headroom in their safety factor yeah that's true it's it's difficult to simulate these parts
1: yeah and you have a lot of dynamic loading is what you're saying Mm -hmm. we got stresses coming from everywhere
0: yeah so i would almost guarantee that it's a design flaw
1: Yeah. So I guess, all in all, what we're saying is, I think we both can agree, when you're pushing the limits of simulation and manufacturing, not so much materials, but lightweighting, these are failures that can happen. And they do happen pretty regularly. I would imagine in other scenarios, there's a lot more testing that goes into it. I'm sure they've ridden these bikes Uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of miles on those tracks prior to the race. Maybe it fatigued. But yeah, it could have fatigued. Anyway, it's something to think about. If you have thoughts on this,
0: we don't want to spend the rest of the episode on it. I am curious about what people think, because that was the first thing that came to mind when I saw the article, is, all right, how much press is this going to get? And obviously they had a rule in the rule book because parts fail. Yeah. Like things fail mechanically all Mm -hmm. the time. And you never see the story of, oh, CNC machine part failed.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, DID Chains, who provides the chains Yeah, th- for this team, that team, this team is under fire because right. it, it could happen, but that's not going to make headlines.
0: Additive has so much steam right now, nothing can stop it. It's, ooh, it's just ooh, picking ooh, up more scary. and more steam. I don't like that. It can slow, but Additive is here to stay. Yeah, I mean, that. there's no there's zero doubt in my mind. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do want to
1: shout out to Bastion Cycles. I, I did get a chance to watch some of their content. They seem like a great company, and they're inv- doing their own internal investigation. I yeah. think they're going to do the right things. Obviously, they can't go back and fix the part prior to the event. It already happened, but I think they can figure out what's wrong and Again, they're a good company. I don't wanna blast them. Sure. I wanna just say like this is these are the challenges that we face in additive manufacturing or any manufacturing. I mean, there are times when we can't use cast parts. It has mm-hmm. to be spec'd as forged. So this is just another um
0: learning experience. We we've gotta chalk it up to that. Yeah. I mean there's gonna be 3D print printed parts that fail. Uh this week and next month and next year. It's definitely going to happen. So let's get into the meat of this episode. Okay. The meat and potatoes. Okay. That was pretty meaty though. It was. For, I think it was a great news. discussion. Um I was I actually thinking about what other high profile printing failures have I heard about? And uh, there's actually very few that I could think of.
1: Hit have us you, up if you've got one. Yeah. We we I'm curious. love hearing from our listeners. And lately we've been hearing from more and I, it's just, it's nice because one, you, you, it may not make it to an episode. Um, but for sure we always read it. It's interesting to us to know where you all came from, what you're looking at. And, uh, it makes content creation for these a heck of a lot easier. Absolutely. So the meat of this one (laughs) This is, oh, I. This is, you're giddy. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite because I don't necessarily have a great way to um, solve this issue. But I think today's episode is just going to be uh, me making a pretty simple analogy. Maybe it's grossly oversimplified, but we've talked a ton about this in the past, but it's hobby level to, um, industrial 3d printing how how come so many people get stuck how come so many hobby level printers who've built uh, machines guys that have fallen in love with their hobby level systems how come they have such a difficult time accepting an industrial machine and i want to talk a little bit about that today and i have a pretty what i think of course i think it's a good analogy yeah but the reason I'm talking about this is this comes up pretty regular where we have a company that really needs an industrial machine Mm -hmm. from our end. We know what an industrial machine can do. We know what they produce and we know how they've helped companies in the past for us, (laughs) but there is often a huge resistance to change and Particularly, uh, Utah is known as a pretty frugal state. And we have some companies here that uh, they don't want to make that shift. Mm -hmm. Have you
0: run into any of these guys? Of course. And I had a discussion just this morning here in the office with someone who has printers at home. Was it Jeb? (laughs) Jeb 3. Okay. Jeb (laughs) 3. And it was like the software does this. And my response is, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Oh, okay, well, I must be confusing it with the software at home. And we get a lot of, not just around the hardware, but my software can do this, why can't yours? Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's several components to this. You have hardware of, I can do this with my machine. I can do this with my machine, why can't you do that? I can do this with my software, why can't you do that? And sometimes it's valid. But oftentimes I think your point is that you buy or you use each of these options for different reasons. Yeah.
1: And it's hard for, you you don't know what you don't know, right? It's hard for somebody to like make that jump. Yeah, And so the analogy that I wanted to make was really to cars. It's something that a lot of us have experienced. Um, and a lot of us own cars. So you happen to have, I know this, you had a golf a I did. Volkswagen golf back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the golf?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, actually the golf is a, is a great analogy because I tinkered with that thing like crazy. So it had been, uh, a turbo had been added to the system, but not, did you No. when I bought it, it had what's called a 50 trim turbo, a little bit larger turbo and not much else. And, um, I bought the car. I had it for a while and it, it melted a piston cause it was like 20 PSI way more than what it should be running. So lots of fuel. You were trying to make it fast. It runs lean. So anyway, at that point I tore it down. I redid so much. I got more custom, uh, programming tools so that I could do all of the air and fuel maps myself. I redid the whole wiring harness. I did everything. And, uh, eventually I parted that car out because (laughs) it was this like endless project of trying to get it to work in a way that was going to take advantage of everything I had done and it never quite met my expectation and I dumped hundreds of hours into that car and money lots of money but by parting it out i recovered a lot of that okay so (laughs) i i want to know why why did you buy the car in the first place i originally bought the car to get me to and from work fast okay and
1: then why tell us like you want it to be fast. It already had a turbo, it sounds yeah. like. So it already was probably reasonably fast. Yeah. Why
0: tear into a good thing? So something happened and it was like an opportunity to make it better. And I Something just had happened? To, what was the thing? It melted a piston. Oh, okay. So that was, so. that's pretty major. It's pretty major. But I could have, you know, I could have swapped, swapped that out. Instead, I bought like basically a whole new long block and tons of other stuff. So it was an opportunity that I see in my mind, create something that I thought was possible. Um, and maybe it was possible, but I never achieved it. Okay. So does...
1: This is where the analogy comes into play.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll finish You're strong. There's people who have done this to their printers. Y- Absolutely, 100%. are the hobby-level printer guy At that point, yeah. Or
1: gal. Yeah, you are trying to... Take something that's good or reasonable, reasonably affordable. You didn't go out there and buy a Ferrari. Right. It was a Volkswagen Golf. Yeah. And you wanted to make it faster. You wanted yeah. to make it better. But really, at the end of the day, the job was to get to and from places and yes. mostly work. Yes. <laughs> so I lost sight of that. Exactly. Okay. So that's that's where I want to bring this thing in. I want to hone in on the hobby level and in industrial printer as... We really, ultimately, we as people, we have a purpose to get from point A to point B. But the company's purpose is usually a point A to point B. And that may or may not be the exact same thing. Yeah. But we have to, at some point, put the company's point A to point B as number one. Right. And for you, you say you got lost a little bit. And and I I don't want to necessarily get too far off into like saying... Oh, people who work on their own printers or who people who build their own printers, they're lost. No, they're not lost.
0: It's a good thing. I lost sight of the purpose
1: of that. Yeah. Thing. Right. And, but in the meantime, you spent a lot of time and personal money, not only trying to make the thing faster, which was your original goal. Yeah. But just to make it work again. Yes. Just to make it work.
0: Yeah, and I could have taken an an easier route and perhaps the chance of success would (laughs) have been higher (laughs) that I got it working again. Um, But when you're sitting there and you're looking at parts, it's really easy to think, well, this is a good opportunity to make an upgrade here, make an upgrade here. And suddenly you have 10 upgrades that were never meant to really work together or validated to work together. And uh, maybe they work together once or twice, and then they don't again. Yeah. And it just becomes this endless project that's uh, sort of just fighting its own existence. Well, it, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say you may have had
1: a little bit to do with that. No. As the builder of the system.
0: No. No You don't way. think so? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> there, there's a little bit of human error in there, and there's a little bit of maybe some oversight, inexperience, et cetera, et cetera.
0: That's true. I did, as I was parting it out, I did find one major flaw. What was it? There was a massive boost leak on the exhaust side of the turbo. Let's just say that. That'll get you. Exhaust leak, yeah. <laughs> That'll get you. When, especially when you're trying to use the O2 sensors to tune. And you've got
1: an exhaust leak and you, you, uh, it doesn't know what the fuel-air ratio is yeah. at that point. Yeah, that's a problem. That was your problem. (laughs) That was the reason it didn't work. And you didn't discover that till you parted it out? I was parting it out and I was like, oh, uh,
0: that's a problem. Was there a hole in the manifold or what? No, but uh, one of the bolts was completely loose. Okay. Tyler
1: looks at me right now with a little bit of sadness and a little bit of remorse, it looks like. When
0: I would drive that thing, the exhaust housing would get cherry red. Every time? Yeah because of this leak.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so we'll get more into it in a second and maybe I'll talk about some of my projects. But the thing here is there was nothing wrong with that, you know? And when we talk to these people that are building their own systems, it's super easy to get attached to those systems. Like you were probably pretty attached and I bet it was kind of a heartbreaking experience to even consider parting
0: your car out. And I could, I could give you 10 reasons why I would do it all again. Okay. Number one, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Number, I mean, what are the top three, top two reasons? The confidence that I can jump into a project without really knowing what the end's going to look like and get somewhere close to that. Um, The no, like just the knowledge of how the internal combustion uh, engine works, how the engine management system works, how air flows through the engine and is combined with fuel and how to make power and how to recognize if something's running rich or running lean, just the whole knowledge of the car. Yeah. Itself. And, uh, also the lessons learned of sticking with a project. Way long past the time that you actually want to keep doing it, and understanding that sometimes that's what's required of you. By the time that you discovered the hole, had you already sold a bunch of the components?
1: I hadn't sold a single one. At that point in time, did you consider putting it all back
0: together? Nope. You were done. You were totally done. I knew that. Okay, this might solve the immediate problem, but there's going to be another thing that comes up the the week after. And so it was a never ending thing. And at that point I felt like I had gotten out of the project a lot more than what I bargained for. Cause I thought I'm just going to get a fast car out of this and it'll be kind of showy and nice, but I actually learned a lot about myself and I got what I needed out of it and it was time to move on.
1: Yeah. So what do you drive now? I drive a Chevy Bolt. And how do you like it? I love it. Now, do you still have the same goal? Is, your, is the A to B still your main goal? Yes. Same exact goals, but just a more mature Tyler. Yeah, I just don't need it
0: to be f- fast or flashy. And what do you like most about the car? That I literally have done zero maintenance <laughs> since I owned it. I have vacuumed it. I've washed it. That's it. Not the last time I got in it. Dude, <laughs> um, I keep my vehicles clean. I haven't done anything. I have even had to top off a of fluid. I should probably rotate my tires, but I haven't done anything. And I've put 18,000 miles on it. And that makes you happy. It makes me happy because what was happening is that I was succumbing to like the unreliability of that first vehicle. That first vehicle was supposed to give me to work him back. And when that didn't happen, then the people Did around me- Did you have to
1: buy another car in the meantime? How did that work out?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's why I have my truck. (laughs) Okay, so you bought a pickup just to get from A to B. At that point, I had three vehicles. I had two trucks and a car that really didn't move much. The car didn't move?
1: For a period of about two years. So out of the three vehicles, you had one that could get you reliably somewhere at any given time. Yeah. So you consolidated to finally have a working vehicle, and you still do have the truck.
0: Yeah. At that point, I had two trucks, though. Um, But one was having, it was an older vehicle, so it was having issues. And so the people around me who counted on me to be where I said I was going to be when I said I was going to be there, um, be it my wife who needed to use a vehicle or coworkers who needed to count on me, like, every once in a while, I'd have to let them down because it's like, hey, my decision here. This was pre-Uber. Yeah, it was (laughs) pre-Uber. For sure. Uh, so when I got a new vehicle, the number one thing I wanted was reliability. I just wanted something that I'm going to ask it to do a job, and I need it to do that job.
1: And you didn't want to get under a car again. I know this I don't from Are
0: no. off- Offline
1: discussions. Yeah. We've, we've both wrenched on plenty of vehicles and I think we're both nearing a similar stage. We've talked about this before. It's not what you want to do anymore. We know that we can. Yeah. And that's great. If you need to in a pinch, you might be able to fix something, but
0: we don't want to spend time under the car. I really don't. My diesel needs (laughs) brakes. Which is so easy. It's so easy. So easy. But uh, I don't want to do
1: it. Okay. So I, You know, and we can continue to flesh this out, but I think everybody gets the point. Like, the thing is, is there's nothing wrong uh, with building your own car. Nope. There's not a thing wrong with it. And one thing we didn't touch on, like, you could build the world's fastest Golf. You could have. That wasn't your goal. Yeah. But if your
0: goal was just purely speed, like, I want straight line speed. It could have been pretty close. I would need a larger turbo, but I had the fuel for it. I had thousand cc injectors. I had these like <laughs> That's special way too much. Dude, I had these. There's only four of them, but um I had these one-off pair of cams that were like 10 millimeter lift cams, had to clearance the valve cover to so that they wouldn't hit the lobes on these cams. Limited slip differential, basically everything. It this was thing had it. It had it. It had bored and stroke, uh, internals board and stroke it was a two it was a 2 liter vehicle from a 18 it was insane it was too much though too much all going together at once at that point like i'm not an expert in programming the fuel management
1: systems yeah
0: so well, it uh i lost sight of what the purpose of it was and so there is nothing wrong with doing that but you just have to be realistic with what you need out of your purchase
1: yeah, and that is getting you know kind of more into the printer side of things. When people are building their own, what are the goals? Like the common goals that you see people having uh, most of the time, or what are the kind of kind of what we might see as silly questions? But yeah. what are the questions people are like asking? Just printers in general? Yeah, when broadly speaking, when we're talking
0: to this type of person, the the build it yourself printer guy. Well. I see some people do just want the experience of building something. And so buying a printer kit and put in, putting it together, that is empowering. In the same way, it's empowering to modify anything. You're doing something that you've never done before. And in many ways, perhaps you didn't think you could. And this allows you to prove to yourself that you can't do it. So that's empowering. And that's what some people want. Some people just want the end result. They want a printed part and those are the people that can get sucked into a project unwittingly and have to go through that lesson of oh man like i've already invested so much time i have to make this work and some people will some people won't everyone has different you know capabilities and skill sets and free time that they are able and willing to lend to that pursuit and uh, other people won't so they might You know, upon buying a machine or putting together a machine, quickly realize like, "Hey, this isn't going to be what I want," and and get rid of it or give it to a friend or a nephew. Or they're like you; they want to get
1: their money's worth out of it again. When it comes down to that point, it could be a part-out situation. Maybe could be. I think one of the things that I get is. My printer can print faster than that. Mm -hmm. You know, when people hear, they want to talk about speed. They want to talk about linear straight line speed. They want to talk about cubic inches per hour speed. Mm -hmm. That's all they want to talk about. And I would liken that back to the car where it's like, I can build a car that goes straight, fast in a straight line. Yeah. And a purpose built car. There's no question that Golf You could make it a 10 second car if we're going to the fast and the furious stuff or less because it's so light. Yeah. That's possible. Definitely. Does that mean it's going to go around the Nürburgring very quickly? No. Not necessarily. It doesn't translate to overall speed around corners. It doesn't translate um, in every aspect. Right. But you can do it. You can make the fastest golf and that's not what we're after. And that's where you talk about people lose sight of the actual goal, which when you're working for yourself, when you're doing your own hobbies, it is empowering and it is good in so many ways. And I don't discourage anyone from it. But your goal is no longer, I want to build the world's fastest golf. Yeah. I don't want to build a straight line speed car. Now it's, I need to get something from A to B efficiently. Yeah. And that I think is the biggest thing that I can say is that's what industrial 3d printing is. It's an offload of responsibility on you as like the print lab owner, or, you know, th- this may have been something you didn't even want to get into is 3d printing. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, if that's the case, you're probably the person that's looking for industrial just because you know that like, Hey, this is an opportunity for me to offload some of these responsibilities of yeah. fixing these machines. Yeah. And you already talked about, you you had a a three-car collection to get from A to B. Yeah. Was that the most efficient no, thing? Not even close. You had to pay for the space to put those things. So I, I don't know how great of an analogy this was, but I knew that it was relatable, um, at least for us, and yeah. we could talk about it. But, you know, myself even being... As much into vehicles as I am, I've never tried to make like a a super, super fast car. I had a Mustang once, and I took it to the racetrack, and I did some racing with it, and I put a big brake kit on it, and I did some more opposite of you. I didn't put much into the engine. Yeah. I put it most into suspension and handling to try and decrease lap times, right? Um, For a price point, that car was a good option. But there's plenty of cars out of the box that would have whooped it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now today I'm a different dude. I'm definitely more focused on my goal from getting A to B. And I drive a commuter car now, which is like, it's a little bit sad, mm-hmm. you know, cause you know where you've been and you had fun with those things, but it does the job and I know it and I can trust it. And I think that's kind of just like, if anyone is on the fence they're struggling to make the shift. Just keep that analogy in mind, whether or not you've experienced it on your own. Like I'd say a lot of people have had, they started out with junky cars. Most people didn't get a, their nicest car as their first car. So it's a building process. And whether you fixed it yourself, your, your dad fixed it, your uncle, your mom, like, or, or you paid for it to go to a shop, that was still an inconvenience to you
0: trying to get from A to B. Yeah. I will say that I appreciate my current car more than I ever could have if I didn't have the experience of those other cars. Like, I can't experience or appreciate reliability if I've never experienced the absence of it. You just take it for granted. And we see that all the time too. How many times do we bring some sample parts into an executive who has never seen a 3D printed part and pay zero attention to it. They just they it's in one
1: hand, out the other to the next yeah. guy in line
0: that wants to look at it. They don't know it. what they're looking at. Now you show a a part off of any one of our machines to someone who has toiled in their basement on their prusa or whatever. And uh oftentimes they'll be in wonder over it. Oh, you could print that? Oh. How did, how did you do that span? How did you do that gap? Oh, you didn't have any warping or cooling. And so more often than not, they, they appreciate the, uh, the integrity of the part and the quality of the part. So if you're on the fence, then that tells me that you are considering using 3d printing as part of some sort of monetary endeavor. Like if you're not on the fence then you're not interested in, you know, making money or improving a process or using it as part of work. It's just, it's a hobby. Great. You're not, not going to be the audience for someone who is purchasing a $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 printer. But if you are, then you need to seriously consider what is your time worth? What's your reputation worth? And perhaps you do start on the low end as a a proof of concept. Hey, this is potentially what we could be doing. Here's some shapes that I, I made. I can't guarantee you that I'll make them reliably day after day for years to come with my setup. Maybe some people do have that level of confidence, but it's pretty rare. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, we have a new application engineer here. And just the other day, Jeb (laughs) sent me this part file that was like, on any other printer, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Or just, you not impossible, but you knew it would be a pain in the butt. Yeah. And my previous experience on hobby-level printers made me think, we don't want to do this part, especially as a benchmark. We don't want to put our bad foot forward. And he's like, well, let's just try it. Let's just try it. And Jeb incessantly like insisted mm-hmm. that I print this part, which for other reasons I won't get too into, but it wasn't even the part the customer wanted. It just happened to be a part file. It was more the part they wanted to create yeah. than um, what we had talked about on our call, which was uh, perhaps a production tool,
0: okay. tooling, okay.
1: not the production part itself. Okay. And... He's, so I didn't want to print it for a multitude of reasons, one of which I didn't think the part was going to turn out great, even on our system. And, you know, just to satisfy him, I humored him. I printed it. Yeah. I printed it. I, I went ahead. I sent it to the Fortis 450. It was an overnight print, too.
0: Mm-hmm. It was a
1: lights out print. Did I stress about it?
0: No. Yeah.
1: I didn't at all. That didn't mean that I thought it was going to be successful. Yeah. I just knew it wasn't going to blow up the machine. Yeah, You know what I mean? I knew it wasn't going to ruin anything. That's a pretty important piece of like that peace of mind. That's pretty important to con- consider when you're talking about this. But I pulled into work. I go straight in there because I knew I had a print. I was excited to see it, as I think we all <laughs> kind of get. I pull it off the system.
0: I used to feel that way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it had... Uh, It had some soluble support printed under it. It was an extremely thin. It was basically a shell. I did actually see this part. And it was beautiful, at (laughs) least upon initial inspection.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Right? I'm like, okay, okay, this looks pretty good, but I still had doubts. It is a very thin FDM part. Yeah, it's- Very thin.
1: Super thin. So then I'm like, well, we don't have our soluble support tank our soluble, soluble support system up and running yet because mm-hmm. we haven't gotten fully plumbed here yet Yeah, at this time. We are now. Um, and I'm like, how am I going to get this support material off? I don't want to pick it off because it's a benchmark. Mm-hmm. The other thing, it's a really, really thin benchmark. So I'm going to crack it yeah. even if it's good. I just this had the same attitude. I was just like, ah, oh, what the heck? So I just picked it off. And our new AE was sitting there watching me. And I think he maybe had some of the same stresses or anxieties that I initially had. And he just sat and watched me do it. And I cracked this thing off and it came off in one piece. It was the best feeling ever. Yeah. And as I inspected it further, it was perfect. It was a very nice part. It ended up beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's just like The ability that I had to just say, this is the material I want to print in. This is a slice height. Send it. Yeah. I didn't lose sleep over it. I came into work in the morning. The part was there. It was done. It was ready for me. And we produced a good part.
0: Yeah. So maybe in an alternate universe, you could have used a machine that would have presented you more options. But that doesn't mean that it would have created a better part. And it doesn't mean that you could have created a better part with as quick of a turnaround as you needed. With as little brain power as possible, yeah. I created that part. And some some users do need more control. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie. So the YouTuber that you mentioned a few weeks ago, Veritasium, Okay. He uploaded a new video in the past week, and he goes on site to one of our customers, Relativity Space, and walks through their 3D printing solution for creating reusable rockets, and it's a custom-made 3D printer. It's very cool looking. It is extremely complex, both the hardware and the simulation slash validation and And everything. And it's way beyond what any commercial level printer offers. But that's what they've required. Most users don't need that. Most users don't need that. Have you seen this video? I haven't. You and anyone who's listening should watch that video. If whether you like printers or space or learning, (laughs) it's a good video. All right. Relativity space. Relativity space. Which many people I would assume have seen their printers. They're the robotic arms. And this robotic arm, so six axis robotic arm. And the the rocket is on a turntable. So there's a seventh axis. And then the robotic oh arm is actually on an elevator. So there's an eighth <laughs> axis. It's an eight axis, basically, you know, wire fed printer. It's pretty wild. Wire fed metal? Yeah, so it's a MIG welder. Yeah, yeah, more or less. But it's actually aluminum. Yeah, you can MIG weld aluminum. Yeah, you can. Have have you a spool gun? Yeah, you need a spool gun. Um, and the video, the guy um, at that represented representing relativity space. He does a good job of uh, giving credence to printing. That's cool. Yeah. He did a great job. He was talking about how they had to simulate the walls and the cooling. Cause you can imagine this is in a big open space and uh, you've done enough welding to know that things are going to move on you. They don't print a perfect circle.
1: Yeah. It's kind of wavy, For sure,
0: it's wavy and then it cools into a perfect cylinder. That's crazy. It is crazy. And again, that's the type, that's the level of complexity that you need in many cases, for these cutting-edge metal uh, products. And there's a good chance that whoever designed that handlebar stem didn't take into account everything they should have. Oof. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) I'm just not going to say it. I know (laughs) you... I'm not saying it did happen. I'm just saying that is what I, as an expert... Oh. Expert witness, that's what I would suspect. Okay. Well... You mentioned YouTube. I
1: think everybody kind of gets the point that we're trying to make. Give us your questions, your thoughts on that topic. If you think that was a good analogy, let us know. If you think it was the worst analogy, let us know. And if you think you have a better one,
0: I want to hear it. I want to hear from people who use that analogy to justify from their management some budget to actually bring in a printer. Because I know there's so many people out there bringing in their home printer using it at work, and everyone- Is wowed at first. Is wowed at first, and then they just want more of it, and- uh, It's hard to scale. You end up putting a lot of pressure on yourself when you're just trying to help.
1: Yeah. You become, that, and that's kind of what I was talking about before. You you get voluntold. You become the printer guy. Yeah. (laughs) Unwittingly, you become the printing expert at your company.
0: And uh, that happens a lot, which is kind of cool if you're searching for opportunity. And you happen to know Absolutely. printing. So many companies are out there searching for people who know or yeah, who know and can bring printing into their business.
1: Well, I think that pretty much wraps up what we wanted to talk about. Uh, you mentioned a YouTube video. I want to do my YouTube of the week. YouTube of the week. <laughs> and I ran into this guy. Uh, I've been obsessed with Paul Barnes recently building pole barns. Cause I dream of having just this massive shop that I can do yeah. any project I want inside of. And here in Utah, we have all four seasons and it would be nice to be your projects unaffected. Mm-hmm. And so I dream of having like a luxury pole barn as a shop. And I was wandering through YouTube and I found uh, this video that this guy did on, um, modular versus like offsite built homes, okay. as opposed to trad- traditionally manufactured homes. And he just went over the efficiencies of it. He talked about, hey, when you get a traditionally manufactured house, you know, you've seen the dumpsters out front. There's usually two or three of those that get filled up yeah. during the home building process. Yeah. Versus offsite, it might be two or three garbage cans. So he talked about the efficiencies in not producing as much waste, et cetera, et cetera. And he just came out with a video that's called The Future of Solid State Wind Energy. No blades, no props, no turbines. Like this is super cool. Anyway, this guy's content's very, very good, at least from what I've seen so far. He does a good job explaining everything. He keeps things short, not like us. What's his name? His name is Matt Farrell and... The channel's called Undecided with Matt Farrell. And give it a look. He's got some interesting topics.
0: I think you'll like it. Okay. That sounds good. My YouTube of the week is Everyday Astronaut. Oh, my gosh. You're such a space kid. (laughs) Well, it's it's just very pertinent. Uh, We had a Velo uh, event, uh, an event that we did with Velo 3D in Colorado uh, two weeks ago. And it was attended by all of the space companies in the Denver area. It's just very hot right now. And um, this channel, actually, this was my first experience with this channel. He does a two or three part walkthrough mm-hmm. of the Starship. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Location with Elon. Yep. So Elon gave him hours of his time. I actually think the guy's kind of annoying. I watched the whole video. <laughs>
1: You're just not making any friends on this episode. He
0: just needs to let Elon talk, you know? He interrupted him. Yeah, or just chimed in in ways that were not helpful. So I actually didn't enjoy that aspect of it, but you get a lot of tidbits from Elon. One of them was very early on in part one where he's discussing how design is easy and manufacturing is hard, and which I thought was very true. Yep. And it was actually a Jeb that told me to watch this. No way. It was a Jeb. Oh my gosh. Jeb 3.
1: We have so many good Jebs here at this company. We, Jeb do. And has we work really, with great people. Yeah,
0: we're super lucky. Uh, we are. We are super lucky. So, Everyday Astronaut, that's, that's my pick. It, All right. Just that video series. Don't watch the rest of his channel. Okay. I don't actually, I don't know anything about it.
1: Well, I, I we probably should vet the channels we recommend a little bit better. <laughs> probably, but if they create one good video, I think if we highlight that video, it's eh, yeah. We can't take responsibility for all of their content. Yeah, I recommended AVE, and he's probably got some awful ones out there. I'm sure,
0: but eh, so just, many
1: good, so many good ones.
0: Some people might not like the language that he uses. I love it, but it's just language, but nothing else. Yeah. So I I do want
1: to say like have a look at our website if you get a chance it it was recently updated i don't know if we ever mentioned that yeah goengineer.com
0: yeah you don't love it it is a great website it's a clean website it's actually my homepage if on all my devices
1: <laughs> if you're ever curious about where tyler and i work this is where we work the products that we provide and i don't want to get too advertisy i know i can see tyler over there is formulating the the description for this episode, and it's going to have something to do with this. Maybe. All right. Well, I thought it was a good episode, not just because of my amazingly brilliant
0: analogy, but. It was enjoyable. I want to know more about this handlebar. I hope we get the real story about this handlebar situation.
1: I'm going to stay posted on it. All right. I tried finding more about it. I did find a little bit more, but not so much on the failure of the additive part. We should call up renisha they're, they're, everyone's going to throw their hands up and be like, this wasn't our fault.
0: Yeah, everyone.
1: This is one of those situations. But I think, um, again, the company that actually prints the bike components, they did a good job taking credibility and just saying, hey, you know, we, this was our part. Yeah. We're going to
0: look into it. There's going to be bad parts off every single machine out there. So you can't really blame one or the other without getting the actual story. Investigate. Investigate it all, including us. All right, take
1: care. Adios.